And I want to invite you to turn to an unlikely place on Christmas, to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. The kids will be in the building with us, in the room with us tonight. So if you hear their amens, just know that uh, they're excited to be here. Like Justin is in the back jumping around. Merry Christmas Eve, church. We are teetering on the night before. I love Christmas Eve. I love especially two things we've learned having a Saturday night service is Christmas and Easter. We are on that night, right? That night, if it's Easter, it's the night where we know that Jesus, we kind of think of him being in the tomb and how it seemed like there was darkness and it seemed like there was despair, but Sunday was coming. And when we meet together tonight, we meet on Christmas Eve, and there's this idea that we get to think about Mary and Joseph as they are making that journey, as they are uh, going into that manger, and, and there's darkness, and the people of Israel have went 400 years of silence. 400 years where they had not heard God speak through the mouth of the prophets and they were beginning to wonder, I bet, is God still with us? Has he kept his covenant? Have we forsaken and disobeyed so badly that we've lost his promise and his love over us? And there's this period of silence and, and on that evening as Mary is about to deliver her child, just think about the expectancy. I don't know if anyone fully grasped what was about to happen, but it was almost like that darkness was about to receive the light. Tonight, as we meet together, we are teetering on the night before. The night before. As Mary is pregnant, she's preparing to deliver. There's the darkness, and then that morning, that day, came the light. And I know that this is a season of so much light. There are presents to be opened, Unless you're my wife and I who said no presents and everybody knows, every man in the room knows that's a trap, right? You better go get some presents. If you haven't, look, I will forgive you. If you leave this service, you better run and go get you something. I went this morning. Now it was last night, but anyway. There are presents to be opened. There is good food to be shared. There's time with family to be enjoyed, except for that one uncle that you know everybody, nobody really wants to be with. And you're like, oh, great, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Got to see this guy. There are so many wonderful things in this season, but yet behind all that, there's the reality that there are people in poverty and there are people experiencing loss, like the family of our dear friend, Lisa Schrader, who passed away yesterday. There are people who are mourning. There are people who are grieving. There are people who are sick. There are people who are suffering from violence and abuse. There are people who the season that should be so full of joy, joy is the hardest thing to find. And I believe tonight as we look at Jeremiah and Micah's prophecy about Jesus the Messiah, that there is hope to be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our prayer tonight is that if you are in a season where, look, I know that for some of us this is where we are, where it's dark, and it's a downtime in your life, and you're almost trying to lift your spirits for Christmas. You ever had those days where you're like, all right, you know what? I'm going to put on my game face. I'm going to look happy for these few months, for this day, for this week, for this season. I'm going to make my kids think I'm the happiest person alive. And then when it's over, I'll remind myself that everything is falling apart in my life. 
The truth is some of the first people to ever hear about the Messiah, that a Savior would be born, were people who were downcast, they were downtrodden, they were sad, they were lonely, their nation was being destroyed, their people were being divided, and they could not find hope anywhere. It was to those types of people, those people in that situation that first heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And for that reason, I want us to journey together tonight to a man named Jeremiah. The Bible calls him, or we we often call him, the weeping prophet. He was a guy who was literally, he knew his task was to hear God speak to him. He would go and speak to God's people, and most of them would not listen. And all the preachers in America today said, amen. Now I'm messing with you. Y'all are listening. I see you. I hope. But Jeremiah would preach a message no one would listen to, and he was called the weeping prophet. And in chapter 23 of Jeremiah's prophecy, this is what we read together. Verse number five, I want you to read it with me. Verse number five is a prediction, a prophecy of the coming Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And it reads like this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. I want you to turn to the person next to you and let them know that's Jesus. You can do it. I don't care how awkward it is, that's Jesus. But I want you to see tonight the context of this verse. If you go four verses behind this one, behold the days are coming, four verses back, this is what the Lord declares to his people Israel and to us tonight. Verse number one of chapter 23 says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Jeremiah says in chapter 23, hey, I see, God sees the people that are dividing and destroying my people. God sees the injustice and the violence, the people that would destroy and scatter my flock, and I want to caution them. Verse 2 continues, therefore, thus says the Lord. When we read therefore in the Bible, what do we ask? What is it? Therefore. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. This is God saying to his people, I have seen the way you're treated. I have seen the injustice. I have seen the violence. I have seen the despair. I have witnessed it and I will attend to it. This is God saying, I am a God of justice. I'm a God who sees the pain of my people. It has not gone unnoticed and I will attend to it in church. I want to tell you tonight, listen, maybe for many of us in the room, this is probably the case. We sit in a position. Yes, we have problems. Yes, we have strife. But I want you to know tonight there are Christians in this world right now. People who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who if they dared even said his name out loud in public would be arrested, brutally beaten and in many places killed. 
There are places to be a Christian at all is to bear imprisonment or death. And God says, I see the way my people are treated. And if God sees the way his people are treated and his heart breaks, so should we. There's this scene in Home Alone, which is absolutely a Christmas movie, uh, along with uh, Die Hard and several other movies like it that you can argue if you want. But Home Alone, there's this scene where the, the little kid, he goes out and there's a woman he had seen homeless in the park. And he takes to her this little uh, bird statue and gives her the bird statue. And, and I'm, I'm paying attention to that in the last couple of weeks. I've never seen the movie all the way through, probably never will. But I'm watching Home Alone and I'm thinking about that scene and I'm realizing, look, here is this kid who has a penthouse a block away from him that he clearly has all to himself with more than enough food, more than enough things in it, and he's giving this homeless lady a little bird. Now, he's a kid. You can give him that, but there's clearly this negligence, this idea like he has no idea the actual or is not paying attention to the actual plight of the person that he's trying to care for. How often is that the church? That there are people that they are in need, that this season, look, there is nothing for them to be excited about. They have death in their family, loss, sickness, despair, and we're out here going, oh, yeah, you know, just let me, I, I love you, I'll pray for you. It's like giving the bird to the person in trouble, and God says, no, I see you, my people. I see the way you're treated. I see your despair. I see the division and the destruction that's happening to you. Look, it is no secret right now the church does not get to hide itself in a little bubble and pretend it doesn't exist, that we live in a world, we live in a country that is full of division and people that are actively trying to harm God's people that would love for you to buy a lie, to be deceived, to be wrecked, to focus on anything other than Jesus Christ. And God says, I see that. I see what's happening to my people and I will attend to the pain being caused to my people. Why do I share this with you on Christ Christmas? Because this was God speaking to the people of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 23, hundreds of years before Jesus was born to say, listen, I've seen the destruction. I've seen the division. I will attend to it. And I promise you, behold, the days are coming. Injustice is numbered. It is coming to an end. I will bring justice and righteousness to my people. God sees the pain of his people and God cares. So I want to tell you tonight, look, if you are like me, there was a guy on the way to uh, my in-law's house tonight that was, uh, I say guy, it could have been a lady. Honestly, I couldn't tell. In my, my eyes, I just saw red, but they're driving and they go in the opposite lane and I had to swerve all around them. They were like this close to hitting me head on. And if you're like me, if you're one of those people that you want to put all the justice on your back, I was instantly going, oh, I got to turn around and I got to get the license plate of this person and I got to report them and I got to track them down and they're going to pay for what they did. They can't get away with that. But this is God saying, I have a plan. I have a purpose. No one is getting away with anything. I am a God who sees injustice who sees the way my people are treated, I care and I have a plan. This is the context of God saying, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. This is the context that God says, I'm gonna send the Messiah, this baby that would be born in a manger. God sees the oppressed and those who suffer injustice. But I also want you to hear tonight that God remembers not only the oppressed, but the small 
and the vulnerable. In Micah chapter 5, if you'll turn there with me, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And I want to be honest with you. I want to give you this study of God's word where I, I felt like the Lord was leading us this week, this Christmas. Uh, but the Lord has laid two things on my heart. This is going to be a short, hopefully encouraging message for anyone in the room that needs to know that God sees you at your weakest moment. But there are two things the Lord has laid on my heart to share this Christmas with both churches that I will share with you at the end. But in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, God says this, Micah, the prophet, announces, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Bethlehem is the small, it says, the littlest. You who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's Jesus. From you, O Bethlehem, this little town, this little village, you that are considered insignificant, you that are considered less valuable, you that no one is paying attention to, you, Bethlehem, are going to bring forth the ruler, the king of kings. Therefore he shall give, verse 3, give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. For the ones in the room that want to be the strongest, that want to be the most powerful, that want to be the, the ones that solve every problem for others, I count myself among you. I want you to hear tonight that God promised his people, listen, I see the oppressed, I see the injustice, it will be I who delivers them, I will deliver them by Jesus Christ. And you serve a God who says, the littlest and most vulnerable, the Bethlehems among you, I see you, I see your vulnerability, I see your small value in the eyes of others, and it will be I who delivers you, who will shepherd you, who will be your king through Jesus Christ. Not me, not you, through Jesus Christ. For the one that feels like you don't matter in the room tonight, this is God's message to you. I am five foot seven, 165 pounds, soaking wet. 165 pounds is the most that I have ever weighed in my life. I have always been a little guy. And I worked for six years in a job that basically required you to be big and strong. I've been that guy that I felt like I am literally God made me not fit for the job that I feel like I'm supposed to be in. And, and my partner, he was this big Samoan guy for a little while. Uh, Jason Rickard is his name, if you, if you know who he is. Big Samoan guy, like twice, two feet higher than me, just big guy. And every time anyone wanted to fight, they would go for me first. And Rickard would stand beside me and he would always say the same thing. He'd lean on his car wherever we are for a moment. He wouldn't help me right away. And he'd say, you done messed up. I was the little guy. 
And praise God, we serve a God who says, I see you, the little guy. I see the Bethlehem. It's from you, the weak, that's going to be made strong. Oh, God often does this. Think about it. God uses the murderers and the persecutors, the liars, the thieves, the cheats. Those are the people he uses because he says, listen, I take the little, I make them strong. I take the weak, I make them strong. I take the insignificant, I give them value. And he's saying, listen, Bethlehem, it's from you that the Savior is going to be born. Praise God that he is a God who sees the weak who sees the vulnerable, who sees the oppressed, who sees those under injustice. And he says, I love you. And his ultimate act of love is not to feed you or to clothe you or to make sure you have financial ability. The ultimate act of love is for God to say, listen, I will offer you weak person. I will offer you insignificant person. I will offer you person suffering abuse and violence. I offer to you my son, Jesus Christ, to give you peace and joy and you unity with your God, with your creator. What else could you possibly need? God sees you tonight. I think of a friend, a little friend named Ellie, one of my friend's daughters. They were in New York City this week, and Ellie is two or three years old, and I received a video on Facebook or saw a video where Ellie is on her dad's shoulders, two or three, I believe, maybe four, and she begins to sing, unprompted, sing praises to Jesus. And I think how like our God to use that little human, small, young, her voice to share Jesus, to share hope with so many others. That is who our God is. Go back to Jeremiah for one moment. In Jeremiah 23, listen to the message one more time. Jeremiah announces to the people of Israel, Behold, the days are coming. Now understand this. We read this from the future. We read this as a past event, and we know Jesus came. But for the people who heard Jeremiah speak these words, it would be hundreds of years before hope would actually arrive in that manger before those little feet would be born. And even when those little feet would be born to Mary, it would be years before those feet would be nailed to a cross. And even after those feet were nailed to a cross, it would be years, pray the Lord come soon, until those feet come back to reign upon the serpent's head. It's a waiting game, but a game where we have always known that hope is there, that life exists, that promises every single one that God has ever made has come true, that God is all always faithful. The people of Israel heard these words, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And his name will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Do you know the name that Mary was given? The name that we cry out, the name that we profess as Lord and as Savior, we say it in English as Jesus. Guess what it means? The Lord is our righteousness, or the Lord is our salvation. Hundreds of years before this child was ever born, a promise was made to Israel of a child whose name would be, the Lord is our righteousness. And if you are a Christian in the room right now, and I pray if you're not, you will be before you leave. The Lord is our righteousness. 
They waited hundreds of years before that child would be born, and now you and I stand in the gap, listening to the Lord say, Behold, the day is coming. Jesus said, I have gone to prepare a place for you if it were not so. And one day, that place is going to be ready, and those same feet that were in that manger will come in all of God's glory. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. That is the promise he's made you and me. So the message tonight is simple. God sees the suffering of his people. He executes justice and rescues his people from sin through Jesus, the promised Messiah. The message is very simple. Hold on. Hang in there. Jesus is coming. Do you know that with all certainty tonight? I want to share with you two things the Lord has laid on my heart this Christmas. They may not be exciting things. They may not be things that stir your heart in a powerful way, but two things I believe the church needs to know as we await those, that day that is coming when Jesus Christ returns. The first is this. I shared with some teenagers recently. The first is that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. But how many of you have kids and remember the day that your child was born? Let's be honest for a moment. There was nothing cute about that baby. It was slimy. It was whiny. Them diapers were gross. Amen. It wasn't the baby itself that was so exciting to you. It was all that the life meant. It was the fact that for the rest of that child's life, you were going to have the responsibility of nourishing and teaching and loving and training and equipping, providing for. It was the beauty of the life, not the baby itself, that was so exciting. And I want to tell you this Christmas, the Lord has laid it on my heart, the, the birth of Christ is a wonderful thing, but it's about the incarnation, not about a baby. It's the idea that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's why we worship. That's why we celebrate at Christmas and every other day of the year. The incarnation is vital to your salvation. The fact that God became fully man, fully God, fully man. He had to be man to represent you in His death. He had to be God to have the power to save in the resurrection. That the Word became flesh. Jesus was not created. Jesus was not an afterthought. Jesus did not become partially man and partially God. Jesus Christ, the incarnate deity, was fully God and fully man. And only by this are you able to receive salvation. Because at the moment that Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross as a human being. And the moment that Jesus was placed in that grave and he rose from the tomb, his body, which was human, was resurrected and resurrected because he was God in flesh. The Holy Spirit lifted him from that tomb alive forevermore. He never ceased to be God. He continues to be man so that you, my friend, can be represented and receive salvation. As humanity... He took on your sin and your death, your punishment upon himself, and as deity had the power to declare you righteous, to make you new, and to offer you everlasting life.
That is what Christmas is about. Now there's our theology for the night, church. Now let me offer you the practicality. I've paid attention this year. Uh, I'm not picking on any one place, church, school, ministry. I've paid attention to the way the church has operated, especially in our area, in the, our country. Uh, and I believe the church need to be, needs to be reminded of this message. Christmas is the message that God did not ask humanity to come up. God came down. And praise God for that. Because neither I nor any person in this room or you've ever met has the ability to get to God. God came down. The Word became flesh. And that is why we worship. Why do I believe we need to hear that? This is the message of the gospel. And we're going to invite, be invited to come to the Lord's table in just a moment. But church, I need us to hear this. I need you to share this with any ministry that you serve in, whether it's a Christian school, a church, a parachurch ministry. Think about the message that we are delivering. Because if we are not looking at people and inviting them to know that God came down for them so that they could be with God, that may sound simple and it may sound Sunday school, it may sound obvious, it may sound like a dub moment for the church, but how often have we presented to people that come into a room or a sanctuary just like this one, how often have we presented the message that you need to clean yourself up, that you need to have yourself put together, that you need to act a certain way, that you need to meet a certain standard to be in this place? When literally the message of the Lord Jesus Christ is Read just completely the opposite. It is the message that God knew you and I could not meet his standard. That no matter how hard we try, how much pressure was put upon us, no matter how forceful the church would be with us, no matter how good the training was, no matter how, how wonderful the preaching was, no matter how stirring the music was, that no matter what, you and I could never meet God's standard. That we would never be righteous, that we would never be holy. And how often has the church or the schools or the ministries presented the idea that you better meet this standard if you want to be a Christian. When God is literally saying, I came down, I met the standard for you so that you could be with me. That's the gospel. That is literally the message that God commanded that we share. And I just want to remind you that Jesus became flesh. What a beautiful message that is. But if you consider the reverse that is all too often presented to hold a standard of righteousness and holiness to a person that doesn't know the Word become flesh as their Lord and Savior is not only negligent, it's cruel, it's hateful, it's abuse. To look at a person and tell them, I expect you to clean yourself up and reach God's level before you will be accepted. That is literally asking someone to do the impossible, and it is hateful. 
The Lord has laid this on my heart powerfully, and I know I might sound like a crazy person shouting at you tonight, but this matters. It matters. And I believe that every single person in the room right now is called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my friends, it matters that you share that gospel accurately and truthfully and according to the word of God. God did not ask us to come up to him. He came down to us. Merry Christmas. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that the person in the highest of highs of their life right now can celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ. And that the person at the lowest moment of their entire life can know, can behold, that the day is coming, that redemption, restoration, resurrection, Hope and peace and joy will be known fully and completely in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And we pray tonight that any person that needs to know your great love for them would be convicted and stirred by your Holy Spirit to repent and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Help them to know that there are no hurdles or hoops to jump through, simply to accept salvation through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we come to your table tonight, Lord, I pray that your presence would be more real to us than ever before. And we come to you now, God, in a confession of sin. Lord, just laying before you in silence every brokenness, every hindrance, every addiction, every burden, every barrier that you want to take from us. Heavenly Father, may we confess it to you and lay it at your cross, knowing that it's only by your cross that we stand forgiven and made new. We take these moments of silence to confess our sin to you. Turn to your neighbor and let them know in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness that we can come to your table tonight celebrating this Christmas Eve with clean hands and a pure heart, made new creation by the precious name of Jesus Christ. As we come tonight, may we come in repentance. May we hold dear in our hearts the way that you said Mary, the mother of Jesus, cherished these things in her heart, may we do the same. And we love you, Lord, and we give you thanks. Amen.